Good morning to those of you who are joining us online today as well, or listening and during on the podcast later in the week. It's always great to uh, connect with you in, in this way as well. Um, next Sunday will be our last Sunday on this series on the book of Acts, and then we're grateful to have Dr. Garth Williams is going to be speaking. And then on December 3rd, I know many of you have been asking, when will we get to hear from the El Salvador team? And on the El Salvador team, we'll be sharing uh, on December 3rd, and we're looking, looking forward to that. So uh, th- that'll be a great, a great Sunday. Chances are, I know it's true of me, and chances are it's true of you, that we all enjoy learning things when we choose to learn them. Maybe during the pandemic you took up a hobby, or you learned something new, maybe you started a sourdough, or you took up a musical hobby, or a musical instrument and started playing, or you picked up a craft or something, and you got the YouTube link videos to all the tutorials, and you just subscribed to the podcast, and you just kind of dove right in, and you learned something new because you wanted to learn something. I love learning things that I'm interested in learning in, in the time frame in which I want to learn them. But I was never really a fan of having to learn things that were of no interest to me, which is why I was never really a great student in school. Um, Going to school at someone else's time frame to learn things that I really wasn't interested was never really all that appealing to me. And we love learning things when it's our choice. But life being what it is sometimes causes us or puts us in situations where we need to learn things that we did not sign up for. I would call them prescribed learning opportunities, unwanted, unchosen. I didn't sign up for this. I think about my grandmother whose husband died. Uh, She was 30 years old when her husband died, leaving her with three kids. And she didn't have her driver's license. It wasn't as common in that day. And so she, at the age of 30, had to go and get a driver's license. And she told, I remember her telling me the story of being in a class with a bunch of 16-year-old boys. And here she was, a 30-year-old woman. She did not want to learn to drive. She was forced into that scenario. I was talking to someone a few weeks ago who just discovered that they have diabetes. And now they're having to learn all kinds of things and read labels on food packaging. And they, they don't want to learn that. They don't want to get into doing their blood tests and learning about insulin. It's kind of being forced upon them to learn something that they didn't want to do. And maybe you've experienced this. Your doctor encouraged you to learn some things about heart health or activity, exercise. Maybe your accountant sat you down and said, you know, there's some things about finances. It would be really, really helpful. If you lo- I don't care if you don't want to learn them. You really need to learn these things. Or maybe your therapist or a counselor has done that for you as well. The truth is that in life, we all have to learn things sometimes that we don't want to learn. And I want to talk about it today because today I want to talk about discipleship specifically. And discipleship is the lifelong practice of being transformed by the Holy Spirit to become more like Jesus. It's lifelong. It's not something that just happens to us in the moment we become a Christian. It's not something we just do in kind of those seasons when we feel like it. All of life is a classroom to be a disciple of Jesus. And it involves and is the expectation that we will be transformed, that we will become more and more like the person of Christ and that this happens through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. But that requires learning. And sometimes it requires us learning things that we don't particularly want to learn. Let me show you this graphic. You'll be amazed at my computer graphic skills. Thank you very much. This is why they don't let me near the church Instagram account. 
Um, so I became a Christian on May 3rd, 1991. And on May 2nd, the day before I became a Christian in 1991, I was a grade 12 student and I had certain thoughts, habits, attitudes, and affections. Those appropriate for a grade 12 boy. And I became a Christian on May 3rd. So on May 3rd, um, how many of those thoughts, habits, and attitudes, and affections do you think were different? Someone in the first service bellowed out, none! (laughs) Maybe they knew me in those days. The truth is, the day after you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit now is downloaded into your hearts. And the truth is, largely, you're still the same person with the same attitudes, habits, attitudes, and affections, and the Holy Spirit now begins the lifelong process of transforming us from the inside out as we surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Christian life is really and truly all about. And for some of us, we sign up for this. We join a Bible study. We figure out what our spiritual gifts are. We decide to volunteer in a ministry and we dive right in. And in that diving in and in our own choice, we start to learn and we are then transformed. And then sometimes God places us in a season or in a situation that we did not sign up for. And now we have to learn some things in this season about being a follower of Christ and oftentimes unlearn some things as well. And this is what we're going to get into today as we look at the story of, the, of Peter from Acts chapter 10. Now last week we kind of started by talking a little bit about Acts chapter 10. Today's kind of uh, part two. So uh, previously in Acts chapter 10, we found this. Luke introduces us to the character by the name of Cornelius, and Luke tells us six things about him. He's a Gentile, he's a Roman centurion, which means he's a military killer, and he's an occupier. He's there on behalf of the government of Rome occupying Israel, and he fears God, prays daily, and is very generous to the poor, to which the Jewish people in that day said, no, 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 those kind of people don't exist. Those people don't exist. But Luke wants us to see, just as you and I, Cornelius is way more complex than a few chosen descriptions of his life. And the Lord speaks to Cornelius and says, I want you to go, send three of your staff, and I want you to go and find a man by the name of Peter. He sang in Joppa. He sang at the house of Simon the Tanner. I want you to go get him and bring him back to your house because there's something that you need to hear for your faith. Now, If we were to kind of sum up the book of Acts, one of the kind of, if I was to kind of sum up in a a phrase to this point, it would be this. The Holy Spirit is trying to move the church out so it can bring lost people in. That the Holy Spirit has come upon, upon this body of believers and is trying to move them out of their comfort zones from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth so that people who are far from God might be brought in. That this is kind of the theme. And so you've got both the church needing to go out and lost people needing to come in. If I was to ask you today, as if you've been here throughout this series, or if you've been reading along in the book of Acts, which seems harder, for the church to go out or for lost people to be coming in? Where does there seem to be the most resistance so far in the book of Acts? It's with the church going out. 
That the great challenge has been in the church being willing to do the things that God is calling them to do. Because we as disciples need to continue to both learn and unlearn so we can be available to the Lord's work in our lives. So let's read together this morning. Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 9. There's a Bible in the seats in front of you. Um, You can look it up electronically as well. Acts chapter 10, starting at verse 9 on page 1709 if you're using the Red Bible. Remember, God has already been speaking to Cornelius and said, go send your men, and so they're on their way. But about noon the following day, as Cornelius' men were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contains all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Now, you and I are probably mostly Gentiles here today, so we don't think anything of that vision. But for Peter, a good Jewish man, he sees unclean, unclean, and unclean. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter said. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon Peter, three men are looking for you. Now, it's hard for us to appreciate the challenge of this vision for Peter. What God was inviting him to do went against everything he was taught growing up as a good Jewish boy, living under the rules of the old covenant. He had probably never, ever, ever eaten anything that was unclean, ever. And so God gives Peter this vision three times, knowing it will be challenging for him. And three times is kind of the love language between God and Peter. You remember that Peter rejects or disowns Jesus three times before he's crucified. Upon Jesus' resurrection, Jesus goes looking for Peter and finds him and invites him to follow him again how many times? Three. And here again, gives him this vision, not once, not twice, but three times for Peter to have because the Lord knows that Peter is going to struggle with this invitation. I mean, look at verse 17 and verse 19. Luke does not hide the fact that Peter is still wrestling with this. He's received the information. He gets what God is asking him to do. But that information needs to sink into his head and into his heart. And it says here that Peter was wondering, what do I do with this vision? He was thinking about it. Am I really going to do this? Am I really going to start living this way? This was such a huge deal. And it reminds me, and maybe it reminds you, that change does not happen easily in our hearts. However, this missionary move of God is not new. 
In Genesis chapter 12, God starts by calling Abraham to go out, to leave his people, and to become a blessing to the world. And even though it's been a theme from the beginning, we see it again that God's people struggle to do the thing that God has called them to do. I don't know if you caught it, but in, I was reading through this passage in Acts chapter 10. Did you catch where Peter is staying? Joppa. Does that ring a bell to anybody? Is anybody here in January when we spent five weeks looking at the story of Jonah? Let me read you just the first three verses of Jonah chapter one again. The Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed the, the ship for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. What was Jonah's problem? Why did he not want to do what God asked him to do? Because he didn't like the Ninevites. In his mind, they were unclean Gentiles. And there was no room in his heart, no imagination in his spirit that God would actually call him to go there. Meaning, and if you've read through the book of Jonah, almost the entire book is about God trying to convert Jonah first trying to convert the missionary to do the very work that the missionary was called to do. We've seen the same kind of outwards uh, movement in the life of Jesus himself, going to people that other people said, no, I don't, I don't think you should go there. I don't think you should be with that person. Roman sympathizers, prostitutes, Zacchaeus, a demon-possessed man in a cemetery, nothing is more unclean than that. And yet the same spirit of Jesus is always moving to the dark and broken places. And we see it again in the book of Acts, an Ethiopian eunuch, the persecutor Saul, the Samaritans, and now a Gentile centurion who's occupying our land. And God's spirit is moving his people to those places. So while this vision that Peter is receiving is difficult. It's consistent with the work of God since the very beginning. And just like Jonah, God needs to do a work in Peter's heart first, not just Cornelius's. And so God gives him this vision about unclean food. But it's not about food. He gives him this vision to get him to think differently about four-legged animals, reptiles, and birds that fly in the air. But it's not about those things. The Lord wants Peter to be able to see people differently, not just this food. There's a fundamental change that needs to happen in Peter's heart and his mind before he can embrace God's call. And I'm so grateful that Luke, who could have just skipped over these details, he keeps them in here for you and I who struggle and wrestle and need to continue to be disciples who give ourselves over fully to the Lord's work. In fact, I'm going to suggest that Peter's wrestling, his humanity in this story as a person who's struggling with change, is one of the things that God uses to change Cornelius's heart. So let's keep reading. Uh, chapter 10, verse 24 uh, to 30, 34. Now here, this is four days later since Peter gets his original vision. He's been stewing and mulling this over for four days now. And it says, the next day Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. 
Some of his Jewish friends went along. They're like, what is going on with Peter? What is going to become of this? Who are these people? We got to go. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them. And he'd called together his relatives and his close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, stand up. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile, right? And to visit with him, right? But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. The vision wasn't about a man, it was about food, but Peter got it. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you've sent for me? Cornelius answered, look, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and he's remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Now, I don't know how your mama raised you, but my mom taught me that when you greet people for the very first time, you're polite, you shake their hands, and you look them in the eye. Um, and if Peter was my mom's son, he would have been in big trouble because he walks in his first greeting with these new people, and he says to them, basically, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be around people like you. You're unclean. You're going to make me unclean. Uh, thanks for the invitation. But he is honest right away at his struggle of being in this place. And even though Peter is struggling and trying to unlearn and process this vision that God has given to them, he chooses to be honest with them about his internal struggles. Twice here, both in verse 28 and also in 34 and 35, he says, I'm not supposed to be here, but God is showing me. I'm not supposed to be in your house, but I realize now how true it is that God has no favorites. What we are witnessing in this moment, as uncomfortable maybe as it was for Cornelius and even for Peter, we're watching Peter get converted. That a fundamental change has now happened in his heart and he's come to grips with what God is doing in this moment. And what amazes me about this story is that Peter is not a fringe follower of Jesus. He's not kind of late to the game, finally tagging along. He was there at the beginning. He saw everything Jesus did, he heard everything Jesus said, and he went wherever Jesus went. He was one of the three disciples who got invited into the special moments that not all the disciples got invited into. He was there for all of them. He was there at the crucifixion, denying yes, but he was there at the resurrection when Jesus came and called him again. He was there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on him and he preached and 3,000 people became believers. He was there for all of that. And yet he says, wow, look what I'm learning. 
Look what God is teaching me. Look what I realize now that I did not realize before. Look what I see about the work of God in my life now that I did not see before. Friends, Peter is showing us what a disciple looks like, what a mature believer in Christ looks like. It's what Eugene Peterson calls us, a long obedience in the same direction. A lifetime of moments where God shows us things and we make changes in how we think or behave. A lifetime of moments where we realize we were wrong about something and we do an about face and we do it right. Where we humbly repent and are obedient to the Spirit's work in our life. What we see here in the life of Peter is the life of a disciple. Now, Peter's also the evangelist. (laughs) And you might think he's a rude and poorly prepared evangelist. I mean, he goes in there, I don't know if I should be with you people. He's got clearly nothing prepared, and all he does is talk about himself and the problems that he's having with even being there. And we might be tempted to think, man, he's bad. But I disagree. I think Peter's conversion right before Cornelius' eyes was instrumental in Cornelius' own acceptance of the Lord. When Peter walks through the door confessing and struggling and saying he's not sure he should be there, he, what he realizes now, what God is doing, and so I'm going to be obedient to it, I think Peter's honesty brought hope to Cornelius. As Christians, sometimes we can be ashamed of our humanity, our struggles, our doubts, our suffering, our weaknesses. But these are the places where God's grace meets us. As we demonstrate the broken nature of our lives and the struggles that we have, but how God is moving and at work in our hearts, it gives hope to other people who are wondering, could God do anything with me in the brokenness that exists in my life? Is there any hope for me? I love Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have light shining in our hearts, But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. It's like Peter saying, you know, my life is crumbling. I'm struggling to believe. I'm struggling to do the thing that God is calling me to do here. But God's mercy shines through his brokenness and it impacts the life of Cornelius and his friends. And what I love, that they open their hearts to faith, they become believers, they're baptized in that moment, and then they ask Peter, could you stay two more days? He's <laughs> like, I've been here, well, this thing's taken me four days already, two more days. Because you're learning things, Peter. You're talking to us about how God is still teaching you things, you're still discovering his grace for your life. We want to be learners too. There's things that we need to learn from you. Would you stay two more days? So two things I just think about as we conclude here. Um, One is that if you're having spiritual conversations with someone in your family or friendship circle, you maybe put a temptation, there's a a temptation to put a burden on yourself that you need to project this perfect life that has it all together and have all of the answers. (laughs) You could also go the route of Peter who's honest about his struggles and shows how in spite of my struggles, God's mercy is still at work in my life. The other thing that just jumps off to me is just this vision of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
that we are somebody who's always learning. And we're humble, and that when God moves in our hearts and we see things that need to change, when we see attitudes that we need to repent of, that when we see behaviors that are ungodly and we need to change, that we will repent, that we will lay them down and we will go in the right direction. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this testimony in Peter's life. Thank you for having Luke capture it for us. That God, he's honest about his faith and his struggles, and you meet him in that moment in your mercy. And his life becomes this testimony, this powerful testimony of what grace can do in any life. And Lord, if there's anybody here today who's wondering if you could move in their heart, if you could transform them from the inside out, may they hear a giant yes from this passage today. Because you are the God who's always moving towards us to seek and to save the lost, to redeem that which is yours, to give us your Holy Spirit, to begin that transforming work from the inside out. And maybe, Lord, today we're just discouraged in our, in our faith. Maybe we've unofficially kind of given up in pursuing you and we're just kind of going through the motions. May we see in Peter this fresh, vibrant work of God in his life. And may it make us hungry for that work in our own lives too. We thank you for your mercy to us in Christ's name.